Hi, I'm Callie Miller. Growing up in an alcoholic home requires us to tell lies to ourselves and to others. And I've learned over the years that these lies can become toxic, that these secrets can literally make us sick, that what we never look at can never be healed, and that telling our stories and saying out loud what has happened to us can open the door to our healing. That's why I created this podcast, This Space, so we can have a safe place to share our stories. You are not alone, and this is the Change of Air podcast. I can't tell you when it began exactly, because I've never known myself any other way. I want to be the one to be relied upon. I want to be the one who makes the revenue numbers that no one else could make. I want to be the glue that holds the organization together. I want the founders to feel so good they chose me to lead their company. I want to ace the board meeting. I want to inspire my colleagues and peers. I want to be the one who finally solves your problem in a way that no one else you had ever worked with could. I want to be the one you can count on when something goes wrong. I want to meet or beat the deadline. I want to do my best work. I want you to know that you can always trust me, always to deliver. I want you to see how much I can handle, how hard I can work, how strong I am. I want to be of value to you so that I somehow finally prove my value to myself. These aren't bad things. In the world we live in today of hustle, hustle, achieve, these are celebrated traits. My work ethic is praised, sometimes held up to others to admire. And I used to take great pride in how many hours I worked each week, how many weekends I worked, and how many vacation days I never took. Look at me working this hard. Look at me being the one you can count on. Look at me being useful to someone. This must mean I am good. I am valuable. I didn't see my value, so I asked you to see it for me. I didn't know my worth, so I gave all of me away, and you took it, as any employer would. I didn't want to face the rest of my life, so I buried myself in work with the bonus upside of you thinking I'm amazing. And then you paid me more and more and more, assigning a worth to me while also rewarding my overworking. It was all so neat and tidy. I give and give and give and earn and earn. And though I've started to hate myself, I can't get off the wheel I've created. The wheel of giving so much, of you patting me on the head and saying, yes, so good, do more, please. And it becomes a thing I cannot stop because it has become the only place where I'm valued. But being praised and valued for total disconnection to your body and mind, getting raises for it even, more than you could ever imagine, is just as confusing as your drunk mother telling you she loves you while also drinking herself to death. It's just as confusing as your grandmother telling you that no, what's going on in your home is not really going on. You're just a teenager. You don't understand. It's normal. 
You watch your parents drink enough and fight enough and scare the hell out of you enough that you decide at some point to be chosen, to be seen, to matter more than the alcohol, more than their own demons that led them to drinking in the first place. Workaholism is a perfect construct for us. We can work so hard, so many hours with so little sleep that we don't have to face what's going on inside of us. And we are also seen and celebrated and told we have value. But getting our value from an external place, a place that is designed to extract the most out of you for the least amount of money, is a house of cards. There is a dark side to this level of wanting to serve, of wanting to perform, to please, to getting our self-esteem and worth from work. If your entire identity and sense of self-worth is directly connected to your workplace, it can mean that failure is not an option. It can truly feel like life and death, the death of you, as who are you without this work? without your colleagues finding value in you, praising you, without that income that proves your literal financial dollar amount worth. And this at work, this fear of it being life and death, this fear of losing who you really are with every decision and every deliverable and every presentation and meeting, it can lead to a lot of very messy work things. It can lead to holding on to something for too long, waiting for it to be perfect instead of good enough to get consensus from your team. It can look like procrastination because if I don't quite know how to do the thing I desperately want to do perfectly, I might not begin delaying things, thus ensuring I won't deliver big. If you already second-guess yourself due to, you know, maybe growing up in a home where you were gaslit constantly, and told that what was happening before your very eyes wasn't actually happening, you can begin to question your knowledge at work, your judgment, and you can freeze, terrified to get it wrong. You yourself having raised the stakes so high all on your own. And you can then be terrified to share that you need help because help, an ACOA getting help, asking for help, and then it actually appears. We had to do it all on our own. So of course we never ask for help. It never arrived before. Why would help arrive now? So you don't ask for help at work. You don't delegate. And so you wait in terror, hoping you're going to figure it out. As the deadline looms, as the board gets frustrated, as you feel the weight of maybe failure, as you feel the weight of maybe your idea of you being utterly threatened at work. As the you you consider (laughs) to be of value and this work, the only place where you kind of feel any love, as messed up as it is in this quote unquote work family, we'll get into work family in a moment and that phrase, oh, how it grates on me. But you become caught in wanting to be relied upon, in wanting to handle everything, but all of our ACOA-ness rushes in and we can freeze or not delegate, or hold it until it's perfect. 
thereby missing the deadline. And the entire time we're terrified. We don't know who to turn to. We don't know how to ask for help. And so we hold it all tightly. And what does this remind you of? Living with alcoholic parents, keeping their secrets, knowing something bad is going to happen, but we're not sure how to control it. Trying to manage it all on your own, knowing that asking for help won't work. We are so familiar with family dysfunction that work dysfunction feels fine, good, better than good sometimes because it has all the perks of praise and money and progress, things we couldn't get at home. Add in coworkers who have their own childhoods that they bring into the workplace. Maybe some of them are supportive. Maybe you can trust them. But maybe others see an opportunity to wedge in and shove you out when you're in a moment of indecision, not quite at your best, so frozen in fear as your entire identity is on the line every time you have a presentation with every client won or lost, every project delivered successfully or not. As someone who works with entrepreneurs now as a coach all the time, I know how hard it is to deliver your best work when you've placed a life and death edict on the work. Our best work is done when we feel safe, when we have confidence in ourselves, when we believe in ourselves, and when we know that the outcome has nothing to do with our value or our worth. But for the first decades of my life, I didn't know any of this. I worked and worked and worked. I was praised and praised and praised. I was paid and paid and paid. And I was very good at my job. Without all the workaholic pieces, I was exceptional. But of course, I didn't believe that about myself unless someone else told me that about myself. And eventually, as all workaholics find, they burn out. I burnt out. And to cope, I began to value the rest of my life, my life outside of work. And a very funny thing happens when you start to notice the rest of your life, when you start to inhabit it, when you admit to yourself that you'd maybe like some time to yourself, you start to notice that you like yourself a lot more when you're not at work, which is weird because you are work. I would call in sick on a Monday just to extend the feeling of liking myself by one more day. I would tell clients I wasn't available when I was so I wouldn't have to face it. So I wouldn't have to fake it or be not me again for like one more day, put on the mask for one more day. I would take days off and go to the bookstore and read books about figuring out your life. Career paths. Why couldn't I find mine? Why did I feel this way at work? I began to spend time doing things that really lit me up. Hiking, writing, being with friends, mentoring entrepreneurs, connecting them to founders of companies that I really believed in. Yes, it was work, but it somehow felt really different. It was by choice. I had agency. It was my doing. When you finally start seeing your own self-worth and even, wait for it, saying no to things, you really start to see just how unbalanced and toxic your relationship with work is. 
I was so entrenched in my work and I so identified with it that I remember at one point having to make this chart for myself when I had a particularly crummy client she would call me at all hours of the day or night. She would have me drive two hours and at the hour and 50 minute mark would cancel the meeting. I missed funerals. I missed important life events. I missed my grandmother's, my grandparents' anniversary. She was constantly calling me late at night on weekends, was verbally abusive, was manipulative, would tell me to do one thing, I would deliver it, but then she'd call my CEO and tell him something else and then call me back and say, like, I'm going to get you in the next meeting in front of him. You just wait. I mean, as I say this to you now, I shudder to think what I did to my nervous system all those years working in agencies, creative agencies, digital agencies. But I had to make a chart because of this client so I could give myself some amount of perspective. So this chart had circles. There was one big circle that I had written my life in. There was a smaller circle inside of that that I had written my work in. And a teeny tiny one inside of that with my client's name in it. So that I could see the perspective of like, okay, Callie, you have a life. It's big. Your work is but a small portion of this. And this mean, awful client you deal with every day is just so tiny relative to all you have going on in your life. Like I had to make a chart to remind myself. <laughs> I taped it to my monitor to look at every day so that I could be reminded every single day that my life was more important than this awful mean client or this job that I felt was taking everything from me. Classic toxic workplace, right? But did it start out toxic or did I bring my own stuff to the situation and make it far worse for myself without even realizing it? And did my coworkers bring their stuff to the situation, making it yet worse? It's easy to call workplaces toxic without acknowledging that they're full of humans who are navigating who knows what, who knows what difficult thing all of them are bringing. I think of workplaces as it's so easy to say toxic, but really workplaces are human beings <laughs> navigating what we're navigating, navigating things we don't even know they're navigating. I mean, can leaders drive their people too hard? Of course. Can they manipulate and lie and gaslight? Of course. I've had my share of bosses and founders and board members and colleagues who give my parents a run for their money. <laughs> Are we as ACOAs like unconsciously drawn to these types of environments where we believe we could be the hero and overachieve, but then also be treated super crummy in exactly the way we were growing up? Yes, of course. For me, it was only after leaving the last quote unquote toxic workplace that I had to ask myself, is it me? Like I'm, I'm the common denominator here. It can't be that Every workplace I've ever entered is toxic. Could it? Or was I somehow adding to the mix? Could it be that not having a lot of control and not trusting myself and all my ACOA-ness is maybe not made for the modern workplace? Could it also be that I did find myself in some really toxic places with toxic people? 
it's not as cut and dry as saying, oh, workplaces can be toxic. Who among us really wants to work? <laughs> Maybe the very notion of doing work we don't love feels toxic to an ACOA. I had to start looking at me. It couldn't be that every place I ever worked was toxic on its face. There was some piece of me in the mix. And it is true that certain industries, certainly agencies where I began my career, certain industries expect certain hours. Knowing what I know now, I never would have worked in agencies. Uh, my lawyer attorney friends say the same. That those early years of being expected to work so many hours was toxic. No matter how lovely the humans were, the hours themselves, the expectations, the pressure can be very toxic to sensitive nervous systems or traumatized nervous systems. My, my friends in tech, my friends in startups say the same. I mean, my goodness, I should have known that startup life is your whole life, full stop. But a healed ACOA in those same workplaces would probably show up very differently in those workplaces. Maybe the workplaces weren't toxic at all. But the importance is that they were toxic to me. If any of this sounds familiar, if you too have been or are currently in a workplace that is toxic for you, you're not alone. And it is so complicated and layered and confusing, especially when you also, surprise, need the money from the job to actually survive and pay bills. It's a challenge for anyone, but it is a particular challenge for ACOAs. And we can carry around so much shame that we couldn't somehow be perfect at all times during our 80-hour work weeks. And we can have so much disgust at ourselves and have such negative self-talk for not being able to stand up for ourselves more when other coworkers seem to somehow just be able to turn it off and go home. And hey, they probably weren't ACOAs. Their self-esteem probably did not rely on work in the way that perhaps ours did or do or does. <laughs> I just want to sit with that and honor that, though. Let's own this together. We have had really hard work situations, and we've not known how to handle them. And that's okay. If any of this sounds familiar to you, you are in really, really good company. How do I know that? When I first shared with you that I was working on an episode about work and ACOAs and why and how we end up in toxic workplaces or reframed why and how we end up in workplaces that are toxic for us, I asked you about your experiences with work, with navigating it, with wanting to get out of your job, with staying, with how to do either one. And then not respecting yourself because you kept staying, which is also complicated when it's self-worth plus money to pay bills. I asked you a few questions and you answered. And you know how I knew I had to talk about this? I've never received more responses to a single set of questions in four years of Change of Air. You all had a lot to say. Hundreds of you. So what did you share? I asked you, have you ever been in a toxic workplace? 
97% of you said yes. I asked, are you currently in a toxic or unhealthy workplace? 66% of you said yes. I asked, if you got out of a toxic workplace, was it your choice to leave? 87% said yes. So go you. Like we're figuring it out and we're getting out. I then asked, what is the number one reason you stayed in a toxic workplace? And oh my goodness, did you overwhelm me with your responses? Here are quite a few of them. And I hope that you can see in me sharing these how similar our struggles have been. And we haven't known it because we've been doing it by ourselves all alone, having no idea we all feel the same. So what are some of the number one reasons you stayed? Fear that it will be not be different in other workplaces and that maybe I'm the problem. Hello. Yes, me. 100%. Uncertain of what to do next. How do I make sure I choose better next time? It was more stable and predictable than any of my toxic relationships, so I stayed. Financial security. Fear of change. I thought I could fix it. I thought I could fix others. My job was to fix chaos at home after all. Money. Money. Money, honey. (laughs) Trying to prove I could fix it. I thought if I worked harder, they would see my worth. Waiting to save enough money before I can leave. A combination of comfort and fear. Fear, fear. I didn't know another environment existed. Toxic was all I ever knew. I was afraid of the backlash for leaving. They made me feel I was unhirable elsewhere. I had low self-esteem and I didn't know what to do with my life. I was so afraid of being labeled a quitter. I felt shame for job hopping, trying to find something that felt better. I didn't want to let my spouse down financially. I was so afraid of trying to find a new job and dealing with rejection if I didn't get it. I fell for the gaslighting from all of those who worked above me. I felt I just had to pay my dues before leveling up and then it would be less toxic. While I was in it, I didn't even realize how toxic it was. I had learned how to handle this particular brand of toxic Afraid to go somewhere else? Maybe it would be worse. Unknown. I could at least handle this amount of toxic. I think I was addicted to the chaos, and it was a chaos that offered financial stability. My parents always told me that a bad job was better than no job. I felt so much shame for wanting to leave. I didn't know how to leave. I was afraid of the unknown, and I wanted to win approval of a toxic boss. I stayed for money, money, money. And the classic, we are a family here. An old colleague of mine used to say using the word family in the workplace is so loaded because it depends on the kind of family you had. That answer came up a lot as well. They kept telling us we were a family. Very, very confusing words in a workplace depending on the kind of family we had, particularly given ours. Those were just a few of the hundreds of answers for why you stayed. Any of that sound familiar to you? Any chills over your body for like, oh my goodness, yes, that was also me. That is me now. When I asked, what did you do? Like, what do you need the most help with now around how you feel about work? Like, how do we make this better? What do you need? Here's what you said. 
I need to learn how to relax around authority figures. I need to find a way to be heard and say what I think without needing to be validated, without my worth being attached to it. I need to know how not to pick that kind of workplace again. I need to know and believe that my value is not in my work or my accomplishments. I need a boss that allows for and teaches me to set boundaries for myself. I want to feel included and be part of the team. I wish I knew at the time that my happiness is not tied to any money or promotion or title. I wish that I had had the courage and knew how to speak up when I was being treated poorly. I wish I knew how to tell what's a trauma trigger and what's actually a bad workplace. I need to find a way to manage my anxiety around normal workplace mistakes that anyone makes. I need to learn how to handle tough situations with grace. I need to learn how to ask for help and delegate. I need to learn how to balance my responsibilities with the rest of my life. I need to learn how to ask for help. I need to learn how to ask for help. I need to learn to ask for help. (laughs) A common one. And so, what do we do? How do we figure out what's our stuff to heal? How do we stay away from actually toxic workplaces and opportunities? And how do we sort like actually okay work environments, but navigate our own triggers in a healthy way so that we don't get sort of like caught up in it all? How do we have a healthy distance? And how do we protect ourselves while at work and set healthy boundaries and all the things? It starts with beginning to get your sense of worth and value from inside yourself versus outside. From any external source, obviously, but for sure not getting our sense of value from work. And certainly, what if you do work you love? I do work I love. Change of air is work I love. I now do work I love that really lights me up. That is very different than You know, work is work. I love my work now, but there are days where I'm invoicing or doing work I don't love. Um, I'm in charge of it now. So that brings its own stresses, yes. Um, But I recognize through this entire learning over decades of learning me and observing me in workplaces that my ideal for my nervous system is to not have most of my day controlled by someone else. Full stop. I can't handle it. This is just me. And I finally figured it out. Makes complete sense why living and working in, did you catch that? I said living. I was going to say living and working in agency life. That's how much I lived it. I was living in that life. All of it was work. Of course it makes sense. Now that I realize my best way to navigate my nervous system is to control a lot of the things, is to be able to ease into my day, to not have 7 a.m. meetings if I don't want them, Um, to not have things just added to my calendar without my choice. That was too much for me. And it took me a very long time to figure out it was too much for me. And then a really long time to take the leap into something that was right for me, right? There was a transition. There was money fears. There was all that scary stuff to take the leap. Many ACOAs work in organizations and they love it because they've figured out how to balance it. And it all starts with getting our sense of worth and value from inside versus outside. And I will say, in prepping for this episode, it became really clear, and looking through all of your hundreds of answers, it became clear 
we will definitely need to do a few episodes on work and boundaries at work and HSPs at work, highly sensitive people and ACOAs at work. But for today, for right now, I want to focus on how children of alcoholics become workaholics and what we can do about it. So how did we get here? We grew up learning that to survive was to be hypervigilant and perfect, right? If we could navigate a situation at home just right, the fighting stopped or it never began or we were at least safer for having been on it. But even though we were on it, they drank again and fought again and we were inevitably in it again. The bar was always being raised higher and higher. Could we save it this time? Can we sort it this time? Will the outcome be better this time? And the ultimate unspoken ACOA hope at all times is, maybe I'll be good enough to get them to stop drinking altogether. This is much like work, where we have both feelings of inadequacy as in I can't get them to stop drinking and, and maybe can't even get them to stop this like impending argument. And we also have a deep feeling of responsibility to get it right. Parentified children, we were in charge. Someone had to make it all go. Someone had to make sure like people got to school and were fed and their clothes weren't a total wrinkled mess. When we do get it right at work, we gain self-esteem. We get praise even. We might even get a raise. All of that is far more rewarding than working our hardest at home, only to have the fight break out, only to have them keep drinking. And so you can see how work can become a bit of addiction. Like we can truly become addicted to work in this way because we end up craving another chance to prove ourselves and get the pat on the head especially if we never got the pat on the head at home. We learned from a very young age that unconditional love, sustained attention, being valued, was something that had to be earned with exceptional skills and could only happen when all the conditions were right. With the most amount of perfection and handling a situation just right, we might be able to get our parents to pay attention for a brief moment in the sun of, wow, you're amazing. We also learned that by hiding our own needs in just the right way, our parents accepted us, or at least there was less friction. They appreciated how easygoing we were for having no needs at all. If you bring that shove your own needs down to the workplace and mix it in with the desire to people please for self-esteem and attention and what we confuse with love, It's not surprising that we become addicted to overworking so we can get the love and self-esteem and attention we never got. And you can see why we eventually burn out, hating ourselves. Because to burn out means we didn't get it right. To burn out means we didn't do it perfectly. And to burn out also means we're denying our needs to ourselves, shoving them down. I'll sleep when this project is over. I'll do my life when this big seven-month thing is done. I will rest later. I will deal with my needs later. Right now, I just need to move through this project. I just need to clear my life so I can do this big project at work. But what a confusing and painful combo. 
to shove your needs down to get praise for do- and get praise for doing it and then not doing it right anyway because you're so burned out. It's so hard to navigate. Sharon Martin is a therapist who wrote a wonderful piece on this and I'll link to it in the show notes. She wrote a, she writes a lot about this, but I wanted to share a few highlights as being kind of key to understanding why do we do this and why we overwork and tend towards perfectionism and a key component of this have real difficulty relaxing, which is classic 13 traits about adult children of alcoholics, but also is the the pendulum to burnout, right? If we're never, if we're overworking for self-esteem and money and all the complicated things there and have no real trust in relaxing, we will burn out faster (laughs) than someone else, um, than our colleagues, because we don't have a healthy relationship with rest. So I just want to highlight a few of these things so we can begin to figure out how do we begin. So productivity is a way to prove our worth. And adult children of alcoholics often mistakenly believe that work is the important stuff and that play is optional. Again, classic, you know, 13 characteristics of adult children of alcoholics. Work always comes first because that's how we prove that we're worthy of love and acceptance. We're afraid that if we aren't perfect and productive, then we won't be needed, wanted, or liked. We struggle just to be, and we'd rather do because serving and contributing and proving, you know, working hard to prove that we matter feels more natural to us than simply being, resting. She also notes that relaxing feels unsafe for ACOAs. Rest relaxation and play can feel unnatural if you weren't encouraged or allowed to do so as a child. Not everyone grows up in an environment where they feel safe, secure, and loved just as they are. Adult children of alcoholics find they constantly have to prove themselves and convince people that they deserve to be loved and taken care of. They have to be on all the time. So relaxing can feel unsafe because it's letting your guard down and possibly missing the warning signs that something bad is going to happen. ACOAs grow up to be adults who constantly feel like they have to prove their worth through achievements, awards, grades, diplomas, and other outward signs of success. They do not know how to relax and just be themselves. Even if you're not an ACOA, You may have gotten mixed up messages about work and rest, certainly what our society looks like, certainly what might have been mirrored in your own home by your parents. Maybe your parents worried a lot about money or what the neighbors thought. I had a whole religious upbringing and there was a lot of shame and fear and concern about like what the church would think. Whole different episode for different, probably 20 episodes later. Maybe your parents modeled overworking with the best of intentions, kind of like one of you shared. Like I was always taught a good job looked like this and so I should stick with it no matter what. If that was modeled to you, that's what you do. The point is if no one showed you that rest is also valuable, you're going to function from the work first, play later. Remember I just talked about that. You're going to function from the work first, play later mentality And play and rest will easily be shoved to the side in order to make more room for what feels right and validating to you, which is work and self-esteem from work. 
and doing and doing and being there for other people and fixing things. Work is also a form of people-pleasing. ACOAs feel like they have to earn their parents' love by being perfect children, making the honor roll, excelling at sports or music, taking care of their siblings, following all the rules. Remember we had a long discussion about this a few months ago about how much I felt like I had to follow all the rules. And it drove me nuts when other people didn't follow the rules and so on. Anything less than perfect, even a B on a report card or being on a second stream on second string on the football team, Sharon says, and I, this was me. I remember jumping up and down trying to explain to my mother why it was just an A minus, not an A or an A plus, but that I would figure it out the next time. Like I was so concerned about it being an A minus. This, we, we do this because we feel that anything less than perfect will be severe criticism or punishment. I certainly felt that way. The same is true if you do something for yourself. Maybe you were late coming home after school because you were hanging out with friends, which is a completely normal thing. But your mother yelled at you and called you selfish and lazy. And I share this particular section from Sharon's article because my mother did call me lazy and selfish all the time. Even though I was a straight-A student, it, it baffled me. But if I did come home late from having fun, from not working, I was called selfish and lazy. These messages stay with you into adulthood. You then remain absolutely afraid to let people down. You don't want to do anything that might be displeasing to others or result in criticism. Overworking becomes a way to protect yourself from upsetting people. I'm raising my hand here. I'm a total super hate confrontation. If you do perfect work and it's above reproach, there is no confrontation. There's no one can give you any feedback that's negative. If you weren't taught that you have intrinsic value, again, that's sort of starting to believe your inner worth. If you weren't taught that you have intrinsic value, you'll always be seeking external validation, praise, and reassurance that you're good enough. This, of course, leads to feeling like your worth is tied to your productivity and others are only happy with you when you're working, earning money, or contributing something. Her final note, work can also be a way to avoid difficult feelings, people, and problems. Work is always commonly used as a, forward, as a form of avoidance. Growing up in a dysfunctional family, you weren't taught how to deal with difficult emotions. Hi, don't want to have any confrontations. You weren't taught how to deal with difficult emotions in healthy ways. You may have even witnessed your parents using alcohol, uh, drugs, avoidance, rage, or violence to deal with their own problems. That's what was mirrored to us. Your parents may not have been very attuned to their own feelings or yours. Leaving you without much awareness of your feelings and a tendency to numb them with food, alcohol, or work. And since hard work, being responsible, and being busy are seen as positives, certainly in our society, you may not even be aware that you're using work as a way to avoid your feelings, the problems at home, or any of your emotional traumatic experiences that need to be examined and healed. Yeah, <laughs> right? You don't need to say anything. That's kind of all of it. So how do we begin? What do we do? By listening to this podcast, 
by acknowledging you might be a workaholic, by choosing to look at this and then choosing differently next time and the next time after that if you don't get it perfect because it's fine, all coming from a place of such self-compassion and love, then you right now in this moment are doing your damned best. And so what if you don't get it right the next time? You will get it right eventually if, 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 if you begin to shift where your sense of value and worth comes from. A lot of the prior episodes talk about beginning to choose yourself, beginning to get connected to yourself, being part of this community and doing this work and wanting to look at this at all is where we begin. And I hope that this episode in particular, and we will certainly do a few more about how we navigate our triggers in the workplace. A lot of it has to do with the resilient zone. Very good episode to listen to as well as we think about how our resilient zones can show up in the workplace. But the key here is beginning to shift where you're getting your sense of worth and beginning to cultivate that sense of worth from inside you. You seeing your own value, your own inherent value, your own inherent worth. Imagine that you showing up in any workplace. Very different situation. Yeah? Proud of you. So honored that you're here. We're going to figure this out together. Thank you so much. Talk to you next time.